All right, if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. When Jesus talks about prayer, he uses the language of a relationship with a father. We started a series this summer called uh, Life as Liturgy. Uh, We've been talking about how liturgy means the work of the people. Liturgy are are these practices uh, that, that form us. They're spiritual disciplines. Liturgy is a very churchy word, but really it's this idea of the work that we do as God's people. So we've talked about how what what liturgy does is it helps us fix our attention on God. And in the midst of everything that's happening right now, how how much more important is it to just fix our attention on God? We also talked about how uh, this this part of liturgy is a silence and solitude, uh, to be people who, who, uh, as we fix our attention on God, are able to kind of Tone out just the noise of everything that's happening around us to, to focus on God in prayer, being in solitude with him, which isn't loneliness, which is actually communion with God, and in silence where we just allow God to whisper to us. There's something intimate about a whisper, and is when God communicates with us, it's the same kind of thing. There's intimacy with God. Last week, we talked about the idea of confession and lament, to confess, to lament, There's something powerful about that as God's people as we confess and lament. And today I want to talk about prayer. This is life is liturgy prayer, not prayer just as reflection and solitude as we talked a couple weeks ago, but I want to talk about prayer as uprising. You don't think of really the word uprising when you think of prayer, but I want to think about this today. Prayer as uprising. Because there's times when we need to pray and it's simply communion with God, It's, it's reflection It's just abiding. And there's other times where prayer becomes petitionary. 
where prayer becomes intercessory, when prayer becomes something where we are, we, we see something in the world that we don't think is right, and we're praying for that thing to change. The kind of prayer, as it says in the Lord's Prayer, that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. When we look out and we say, there's something happening on earth that isn't the way God wants it, and we pray that God's will would come on earth as it is in heaven. These are the kind of powerful and mysterious prayers that sometimes we almost are afraid to pray. And oftentimes we only pray out of desperation when something has broken around us. We find ourselves on our knees praying these types of prayer. The theologian Karl Barth said this of this type of prayer. He says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of uprising against the disorder of the world. David Wells says this about prayer. He says, what then is the nature of petitionary prayer? It is, in essence, rebellion. Rebellion against the world and its fallenness. The absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. It is in this, its negative aspect, the refusal of every agenda, every scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the norm as God originally established. The originally established by God. Prayer as uprising against disorder, prayer against the rebellion of the world and its fallenness. We don't often think of prayer as those types of things, but you know these are the kind of prayers that come from your gut. When something happens around you that you know isn't as God wants it, and yet you pray, we forget prayer is something that's powerful. We live in this world uh, that is, uh, we, we forget a spiritual realm. There's something eternal happening that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against these evil forces of darkness. There's spiritual warfare. We pray because prayer for us is the way that we battle in this world. Albert Einstein, uh, when he was at uh, Princeton Institute for Advanced Studies, was asked by a graduate student, uh, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research? I mean, this was like you know, 50, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. What year is it? I can't remember. What is time? I don't know. But it was a while ago when Albert Einstein was alive, and they were asking, what is there left to research in this world, right? Because they've got it all figured out. But here's what Einstein replied. He says, someone needs to find out about prayer. Someone needs to find out about prayer. It's this mysterious thing. And, and I think I, as a pastor, have come to this kind of conclusion. I don't always know how prayer works, but I know that prayer works. Prayer is something that we're told to do, to commune with God, but also to cry out to God. Is this uprising against the darkness of our world. And I want to experience prayer that is powerful and mysterious. I want to experience the presence of God. I love in this passage when Jesus is talking about prayer, it says that he comes from a place of prayer and his disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And maybe that's where we start as God's people. Lord, teach us to pray. This simple request to God, teach us, Lord, to pray. Uh, our staff at church... Uh, reads different leadership books, and each staff person will read a book, and then they'll come and do like a book report on that book. And Megan Bernard was reading a book by Peter Greig called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, which I like love that title, <laughs> A Simple Guide for Normal People. 
Um, but here's what Peter, uh, uh, Pete Grieg says about prayer. He says, when it comes to prayer, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. Uh, if prayer is something that is, is, not, is not easy for you or it feels like something that just doesn't seem real, um, I, I had once heard someone explain, if, if you want to know what prayer is like, just imagine that you're sitting in a room and there's someone sitting in the room with you and you're having a conversation. And, and, and this is what, what, what prayer is. It's as simple as that. You're having this conversation with God. And just be honest. As you're having this conversation, what is it that you're thinking? What is it that you're, you're feeling? What is it that you want to see happen in your life? Just keep it as simple as that. Keep it simple. Keep it real. And keep it up. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, we, we have this thing called the Lord's Prayer, right? And we just read it. This is Luke's version of it. If you're used to Matthew's, it sounds a little bit different. But it says, the Lord's Prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Peter Grieg, who wrote this book that Megan's reading, brought up this point that uh, he had heard from a Syrian Orthodox priest in Israel reciting this prayer in its original Aramaic form. And what was unique about the Lord's Prayer that he had never realized before was that it actually rhymes in its original language. When you listen to the Lord's Prayer, it's this poem, it's this rhyme that would have been easy to memorize. The prayer is, is simple enough for a child to memorize it, and it's profound enough that you could pray it your whole life with great power. Keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. I mean, I, I know like some prayers that rhyme, God is great, God is good, and we thank you for this food, which doesn't actually rhyme, but you know, everyone knows that prayer. Uh, in our house uh, with our four children, we, we go around and we take turns praying for meals. And one of the things I love about my, my daughter Lila, our youngest, she's three, whenever she, it's her turn to pray, she starts her prayer by saying, thank you for God, not dear God, thank you for God. And it's always like, okay, yeah, Lila. And then, like, we, we would always try to correct her, but then we realized there's something precious about the simplicity of her even saying, thank you, God, for being God. Thank you for God. To keep it simple, to keep it real, and to keep it up. When Jesus gives us a prayer, he gives us something as simple as this poem, the Lord's Prayer. It would have had this cadence to it. It would have rhymed. And then he goes on to say this. Then Jesus said, suppose that you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And a friend of mine is on a journey and he has come and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. And, and I tell you, even though he will not get up to give you the bread because of your friendship, he will do because of shameless audacity. I love that phrase, shameless audacity, he will surely give up, give you as much as you need. I remember like reading, reading that and kind of preparing the sermon and thinking, that's such a weird scenario. Like, that never happens in our world. Like, why would Jesus bring that up? Uh, last night, Tim Stansel was up late uh, getting ready for this morning and kind of going through the worship set, and someone knocked on his door at midnight. He was telling me this. Kind of freaked him out, and he went out, and apparently there was this man, and he was, you know, covered in tattoos, and I don't really know what he wanted, but Tim said he, he uh, had his motorcycle was overheating and he needed some water to, 
and I'm like, Tim, were you like freaking out? And Tim's like, yeah, I had like no idea like what was going on. I'm like, that doesn't actually happen. Like Jesus brought up this as like a case scenario. And I'm like, that never happens anymore. Last night that happened. Someone showed up at Tim's doorstep and needed help. And then the guy said, I came to your house because I heard a, a certain ringing in my ear that when I got to your house, the ringing got closer. And Tim was like, okay, it's getting weird. So like end up kind of, you know, Tim helped him, helped him get along his way. But, but Tim, Tim answers the door and responds to this guy's need. When Jesus is talking about prayer, he uses this example of someone showing up at your doorstep in the middle of the night. And what that would require is a, a sense of desperation and shameless audacity. There's no way in the world I would go and knock on anyone's door that I don't know them at middle of the night for water or something like that. That just sounds so, like it sounds kind of crazy, right? But this is this example God uses. When you come to him with this shameless audacity to ask for the things that we, we, we know that, that, that we want this in the world. We see things that, are, that are, are wrong in the world and we're praying, God, may more of your kingdom come to ask with shameless audacities. Point two, pray with the shameless audacity. And this is something I feel like, you know, sometimes I, we might feel like I can't pray with shameless audacity because that might feel selfish or, you know, that might be kind of, you know, maybe, maybe me wanting my own desires and not God. But this is talking about the, the desires of your heart, the things that align with what God desires, to pray for those things in this world. There's this wild story that takes place in Exodus chapter 32. And there's this shameless, audacious ask from Moses to God. And if you're familiar with the story, you know, God's people, they come out of Egypt, they come out of slavery, they're, they're out in the wilderness, they're kind of going around, they come to Sinai, and they build this golden calf. And if you're familiar with the story, you're like, God has just done these unbelievable things to free you from slavery, and you've already turned to this idol. And Moses goes to God, and God's ticked. He says that God's furious. He's like, these people are so sinful. They're so forgetful. I'm sick of them. I'm going to just wipe them out. And it says that Moses contends with God. They have this conversation. And, and the writers of Scripture, they, they give us this, this God who is, is real and has this conversation. And it's almost like they attribute these emotions to God. And you're reading it, and you're like, this is just this wild and mysterious story. But the story ends with Moses pleading with God audaciously for the people. And it says in verse 14, The Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. The Lord relented. Now, theologians and scholars have tried to figure out what in the world does this mean? Does God change his mind? Does God, God's unchanging? Does God have emotions? Does God... Is he reasoned? Like, what is going on? And the, the actual Hebrew word for relented means relented. God relents. And what we find is that there's this relationship with God that is real. And in, with everything else that's going on in God's sovereignty, he allows Moses the ability to have this conversation with him. And Moses audaciously pleads, shamelessly audaciously pleads with God. And it says that God relents. When we think about kind of us as human beings in Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, it talks about how we've been created in the image of God. There's this unique relationship that we have with God. We, we're these image bearers on this earth. And we have this free will. Karl Barth, again, the theologian, says that, that this conversation shows that there's this holy mutability of God. Where he's allowed us to join with him 
in the work of the goodness of this world. He's allowed us to be participants in what he is doing on this earth. And so to, to shamelessly cry out for something like God relents, he responds to Moses. It reminds us that there's this intimate relationship. And it's not based on our goodness or our merit. It's based on the character of God who is love. And because of that love, he engages us in ways that feel real and alive. And when Jesus talks about prayer, he says to come to God with this shameless audacity and ask of him. Blaise Pascal was this great mathematician in the 17th century, and he was a theologian. And back then, if you were a theologian, you were also a mathematician, and I'm so glad that's not the case anymore. Because when I wanted to study theology, I was like, there's not math, right? Perfect. But Blaise Pascal, you know, he's kind of famous for Pascal's wager. I'm sure you've heard of this. This brilliant mind says this about this uh, uh, kind of passage with, with God relenting. It says, God has instituted prayer so as to confer, confer upon his creatures the dignity of being causes. God allows us to have a voice to cry out to him. He allows us to participate in his work here on earth. And God engages us as a loving father that says, come to me and ask. These are the kind of prayers that, that I think just shake the heavens when we pray with this audacity, this shameless audacity to say, Lord, I'm longing for your kingdom to come. And it says God moves. God responds. I don't always know how prayer works, but I know that prayer works. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it up. So the passage goes on. Verse 9, it says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he goes back to this language of the father. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? My guess is there's some sort of joke in there that's contextualized that we read it, and we're like, what in the world is that about? I'm guessing Jesus is being humorous here. Or anyone who asks for an egg would give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? This passage is a reminder, especially on this Father's Day, where we know like the character of our kids, and yet even in the midst of their craziness, we love them in ways that we want to give them good gifts. And we are fallen creatures. And Jesus reminds us of that in the midst of it. I, as a dad, I'm a dad, and I am imperfect. And yet I know deep down in my heart, I want what's best for my children. And this is like human thinking. And Jesus is saying this, this relationship we have with God, God as Father, in the midst of all the craziness of our li- in our lives, in the midst of all the different things that are happening, wants what's best for us. The goodness of God desires us to experience life that is eternal, life that is life to the full. That doesn't mean we always get everything that we want, but we, when we ask for the things, we get what God wants for us. And there's something powerful about that. When we desire the things that God wants for us, God intervenes in our life. He intervenes in the lives of those around us. Prayer of petition, prayer of interceding, powerful prayers that work. 
1 Timothy 2 says this, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That we would be a, a, a praying church, that we would pray for all people. That we would have this shameless audacity about how we pray for our people. And I love what he says next because I think this is so important for our world. It says, for kings and those in authority. Pray for all people and pray for those in authority. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. In the midst of everything that's happening in our world right now, with this pandemic, with the sickness, with the fear and the uncertainty, with the racial tension, with the political tension, do you know what our response as a church is? Powerful, audacious prayers for the things of God. That we would be people who would pray. We'd keep it simple, but we would keep it real, that we would keep it up, that we would pray these shameless and audacious prayers, knowing that we are approaching our Father who's in heaven. What is it that we need to pray today? What are those audacious prayers that are deep inside of us that we need to just cry out to God, that we need to pray persistently these petitionary prayers? We're going to take some time to close with a song. And here's kind of my hope as you as we reflect on the, the words of the scripture from Jesus, and we reflect on Father's Day, that in this moment we would sit in front of God as a father, say, here's what's happening in my heart that I need to cry out. Here's the thing that I'm longing for, the desire to see happen. And I bring it before you, Lord, and I contend with you. I desire for this. May we be people that have power because of our prayers and that we would see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to close us in prayer, and then Tim will come back up for a song. Lord, we're so grateful for your scripture that you teach us to pray. At another place in scripture, Lord, it tells us that even when we don't know what to pray for, your spirit intercedes. And we're living in a time of great suffering and confusion and uncertainty, And we want to come before you, Lord, just with all of the things that we're anxious about, worried about, afraid of. We bring them before you today, Lord, and we just ask for your spirit to move in our midst, in our church, in our city, in our country. Lord, we come before you with these requests, not only for ourselves, but for others that we know are suffering. We pray for more of your kingdom, Lord. Lord, I pray for a boldness with our people, that we be audacious in how we pray. Lord, I, I pray that we would know that this is how we fight battles in this world. That we would first and foremost turn to you 
that we'd be reminded that you are where our hope lies. You are where the hope resides. And Lord, I pray that you would, mo- you would move, you would respond, you would empower your church with your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge you as Father. We're grateful for your desire for intimacy. We ask all of this in your powerful name. Amen.